Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm excited today to be joined by Jeff Bassino of Bassino and Associates. Jeff, how are you doing today? Good, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great. Jeff, I've known you for 20, I'm trying to figure it out, 22, 23 years, but I first met you when you came on the NCUA board after having been appointed by Bill Clinton. And subsequent to that, you were appointed by G.W. Bush to the Federal Housing Finance Agency. So you had a stint as a political appointee at two regulatory bodies related to financial institutions. And since that point in time, I know that you've been out with Bacino and Associates. I always enjoyed working with you in your time at NCUA when I was the deputy executive director. And I specifically remember one of the first times we met, you came down to my office and I said half of a line from a movie, which was, I've got that going for me. And you finished my sentence and said, which is nice. And of course, that's a Caddyshack reference. And I'm like, I think I'm going to like this guy. I think I'm going to get along with him. So and then the NFC North based Vikings, Bears fans and all that. So I appreciated my time with you when you were my supervisor at NCUA. And I've enjoyed working with you since that point in time while I was at NCUA. And again, now that I'm off and have changed teams like you did. So with that, other than how I introduced you there, if somebody, if some of my listeners are not aware of what you've been doing, could you kind of add some meat to the bone of the things that I just said about your background? Oh, sure. And thank you. And Mark, I think you were the second person I met there after Bob Fenner, who I had known for a long time. And yes, when you quote a Caddyshack line, I know we're going to be great. And you're roughly generous saying I was a supervisor. I'm not sure the board is always considered the supervisor of everyone there, but it was my time there was wonderful. You helped make it very productive and frankly, very easy. I think, frankly, what Credit should understand is that because a lot of them know the board members because they're the ones that get out. But the staff that's there, when I was there and everything I've known since I've left is always very competent and qualified. And everybody, I think, has a passion for credit unions, and I think that's important. What I've been doing since I left, I mean, I left the finance board in 2008, 2009, when they merged at Ofeo, the Fannie Freddie regulator. Went back to Bassino Associates, which is what I was doing before. We currently represent three or manage three trade associations. We manage the Association of Credit Union Internal Auditors. We manage the Metropolitan Area Credit Union Management Association, which is the Maryland, D.C., Virginia credit unions. And last year, picked up the National Council of Postal Credits, and we managed their affairs. So I guess if you would ask me when I left if I thought I would become an association management firm, I would have told you no, but it's kind of a bulk of what we do. We've got a handful of retainer clients that we help with creating issues, I think, much like you do. And then we do some special projects. Right now, we're working on, on a handful of things that come and go. And once they're finished, we move on to something else. Very good. Very good. Yeah, you got a lot going on there. And that association thing is something we might dive into. But so having been politically appointed twice. That's an interesting process. It's, I guess, interesting, arduous. You probably got better adjectives for that process. I'm sure my listeners are wondering, hey, how do I get on the NCUA board, right? There's somebody (laughs) out there that says, how might that happen? But kind of walk through a little bit from the 10,000 foot level, how that process works, plays out, et cetera. I do get this question a lot and I've got a kind of a refrain, a stock response that I think kind of spells it out. And I usually say to someone, do you know the president? 
And they'll say, usually no. I mean, I think I've yet to run anyone who said, yes, I do. And the second question I say is, do you know someone who knows the president? Well, a lot of times someone will say yes. Now, the follow-up to that is then, how well do they know the president? Do they know the president very well? I mean, and not just some grip and grin photos of them at a fundraiser or something else where there were 500 people. I said, you really need somebody. And if you look back at all the folks who have been appointed to the board, I mean, usually they either had a tie to themselves. For example, former Congressman Norm DeMoore, the former chairman of the agency. I mean, it was kind of well known that Norm was on the tarmac in New Hampshire as a former elected official when Bill Clinton landed shortly after finishing third in the Iowa primary, the Iowa caucuses, which nobody expected. And Norm was kind of rewarded for that loyalty when it came time to pick someone to be the chairman of NC. Other spots have been kind of traded for votes on the B-1 bomber during the Reagan administration. And mine was someone who was very close to most of the Democrats in the country, but also very close to President Clinton. And so, as I said, a lot of times I tell people, you got to know the president. If you don't know the president, you better have somebody. And it kind of boils down to a horse racing analogy is that uh, I always joke that you could put me on secretariat or you on secretariat, that horse probably would have won the triple crown. But you can't take a great jockey like Eddie R. Carroll or Ron Turcotte or Willie Schumacher and put him on a bum horse and expect him to win. It's just not going to happen. So it's kind of one of those things that it does help to know somebody. And it's kind of the way the political system works here in Washington. And appointments are, frankly, no different. As you're walking through that, I'm thinking about the myriad of NCAA board members that have been around. And of course, there was a situation where Debbie Matz came back. And so she was on a term. She fulfilled a partial term of, I don't know, three, four, five years, and then came back and served as the chair. Rodney Hood did the same thing. And most recently, with the change of the legal interpretation of how long, of what it means to fill a full term, we have current chairman Todd Harper, who was appointed to less than a full term, and then with the new legal interpretation, was appointed to a full term. So back when, when you and I met, when you were on the board on the recess appointment, which is a whole different animal, it's a change. Now the rules have changed relative to how long you can be around there. Because theoretically, if you get appointed to a term now that's one day less than six years, I guess you can serve 12, which wasn't what it was right. originally viewed as. So any thoughts relative to that? On, and I guess the follow-up question is to that is there will be some changes potentially as Rodney Hood's term comes up, I believe this August. So thoughts I know you're very connected to D.C. politicians and those kind of things. So what do you see in the tea leaves as it relates to someone having an 11-year term? And what do you see in the tea leaves as far as where the next board might go and when that might happen? As you said, the new legal interpretation, it does change the precedent. Historically, it had always been that you could not succeed yourself. And you mentioned both Debbie Matz and Rodney Hood. They both took terms or a couple terms off. Familiar with Virginia politics, in this state, the governor can only be elected for one term. You cannot succeed yourself. Now you can come back. You can stay off a term and then come back. But this changes the precedent because now, as you said, I mean, if you have a, let's say the term expires on January 1 and you aren't seated until January 3rd, I could make an argument right now that I only got five years, 11 months and 27 days. So now I should be eligible for a full six-year term. The danger I think it carries is what I would kind of call thought stagnation. One of the things I liked about the NCOA board is that terms do expire after six years and you can't succeed yourself. Now, it was different when I went to the finance board. I could have succeeded myself if the agency had stayed in existence. But the problem I have with that is that then you wind up with people who are there year upon year. And frankly, I think that kind of causes the thought process and the new idea process to, as I said, kind of stagnate. And you wind up, what if the same board were in place 
for year after year. And again, one of the things I really liked about both NCUA and the finance board is we had a multiple person board. And so I used to say that when I was there, if you didn't like the opinion I gave, go talk to Yolanda Wheat. If you didn't like the opinion Yolanda gave, you go talk to Dennis Dollar. And all you had to do is get two of us to agree with your opinion. And then it would happen. When I was finance board, there were five of us. So you needed three. But you look at some of the agencies now, you look at Federal Housing Finance Agency, you look at CFPB. I mean, they're both single directors. And I know you didn't ask that question, but that's just another one of kind of my bugaboos is I like boards because boards give you some flexibility in terms of opinion. Now, following up on your second question, when Rodney Hood's term is up in August. I believe it's August 3rd. Not that I track these things, but it's up August 3rd. I have a funny feeling that the White House will have a nominee fairly quickly. This will not drag on the way it has sometimes in the past. And kind of for one simple reason, and that is ever since the day Chairman Harper was elevated from a board member by President Biden, he's basically been in a minority on the board in terms of party. Okay, he's the only Democrat. You got two Republicans. And again, I know why people ideally will not go to any type of regulatory board with a capital D Democrat or Republican tilt. It does enter into the thought process. And so since he's been chairman, Todd has been in a minority. And it's the way that the terms are staggered. It's the way that the Trump administration was able to get somebody through at the end of their term and basically kind of fill it out. Now, with his term up, as I said, I think that the White House will get someone up there fairly quickly. I have heard that they are talking to folks now. But again, that whole process is, I don't want to say secretive, but it's really kind of an exact process. And a couple of years ago, a friend of mine, I joked that if we wanted to put a name out there that the White House talked to them, there's absolutely no way anybody could ever convince people otherwise, because even if the person that we were talking about said, no, I didn't talk to them, they're probably not going to be believed and the White House isn't going to tell you anything. So it's almost kind of a self-made rumor mill. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. And you talk about Todd being in the minority, which is, it is unique and it's different dynamics for the chairman. It creates different dynamics for staff. If I'm remembering right, Hood and Harper came in at the same time. Hood got the longer term, which is what created Hauptman being able to come in on the McWaters term that they were, I guess, upside down would be the way to describe when Biden won, which again, does a unique background. And then- Sorry, let me interrupt. The only other time I think it happened was when I was there. Okay. Dennis was the chairman. He was a Republican and George W. Bush was in office and Yolanda and I were the two Democrats. Right. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Well, and thinking about a board versus an administrator, I'm with you that a board brings you the wisdom of crowds, more thought, more idea. And at NCUA, as a staff member, you always knew you had to count to two, right? If I can get two board votes, I can get anything done. You'd love to get three, but you'd often find times find yourself where the person who only had the one vote was trying to convince you that it was the right way to go. And you might have agreed with them. But again, the board runs the agency. And if they got the two votes, they've got the two votes. Now, Todd was a staff member for Debbie Matt. So he has that potential of the 11, 10, 11 years, whatever it adds up to, plus having been there influencing NCUA as a staff member. That's quite a long term. It's quite a legacy that's a little different than the tenure that other board members have been able to have, which is quite interesting. So Jeff, the associations that you've working with, McCuma, the one that you started that was first became part of Bacino Associates or was that? No, the the Association of Credit and Internal Auditors, we picked that up about 12 years ago. Okay. It was interesting because a friend of mine called me and said, do you know anybody who could run this association? And so actually, originally, I told him to call someone I knew who was running a couple other associations. 
And because I basically figured I didn't want to do it. Now I've started an association. I started the National Association of State Chartered Credit Unions. And I used to run the National Association of Share Insurance Corporations, which was the group of private deposit insurers. But at that point in my career, I wasn't looking at picking up an association. But anyways, this guy called me a couple of weeks later and he said, hey, that name you gave me, that guy never called me back. And so I called him up and I said, hey, I'm trying to give you some business here. What are you doing? And he said, I think we've got a client that might conflict with it. And so I called my friend back and I said, there might be a conflict. He said, you want to do it. And I said, all right, I'll help you out. So we started with the Association of Credit and Internal Auditors. I tell you, it's been a success story for us when they started. It's always tough because a lot of the associations that are around, when they're looking for someone to kind of run them, they go to an association management firm. And again, they do a very nice job. My pitch to most boards that we've talked to and all three of them that we've talked to had association management firms before, okay, which again, very good, very competent, but the reality is they don't know credit unions. And so what I try to tell them is I say, look, with your association management firm, you know, your trains are going to run on time. Your trains are going to be spotless. The problem is they're going to be half empty. I said, my trains, if I run you, are going to be a couple minutes late sometimes. And maybe there's a McDonald's wrapper on the floor, but they're going to be full because I know what Critians like. I know what they need to want to talk about. And I know the topics. And frankly, I've been blessed in my career because I'll know the players. And frankly, it's as easy as me talking to you because I asked you to come over and do a session right. for one of them when you were in town. And it's lot easier if I know you personally say, hey, Mark, it's at six o'clock and you come over and hopefully you're going to say, yeah, I'll do you the favor rather than if it's someone who doesn't know who to talk to at the agency who's calling over. And sure. So, yeah. Yeah. So ACI's first, McCuma was second and then the Postal Council was third. Got it. Got it. And McCuma, you know, just thinking about this, as I think back on NCUA, I think has desired more robust internal audit departments. And as credit unions have gotten bigger, expecting there to be more and more relative to that, as opposed to back when I started as an examiner and credit unions might have had one internal auditor who helped with audits. And now you've got full divisions and different things. So I'm sure growth-wise, as far as participation, you've seen that, but it's also they're doing more and they're better departments, which I'm sure has led to growth to that trade association would be my guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. We had about 300 members when we took over. We've got 800 now. Wow. And you're absolutely right because the agency has required it. The credit unions are seeing it. There was a period there where credit unions, I think, were trying to outsource their internal audit function and they would go to some of the audit firms who could do a good job, but they weren't on site all the time. And now it's kind of swinging back the other way. As a matter of fact, it's a fairly large credit union just called me last year and they said, look, we were outsourcing it. Now we're bringing it back in-house. And they hired someone who I felt was very good. And then that person was allowed to hire three or more people that I, again, felt were very good. So yeah, it is more robust. I tell the board at ACY all the time, but you guys are one of the few associations in your range that have been growing. Right, yeah. If you think about it, if you're a credit union trade association, if you're frankly like most of them that are credit union based with the dwindling number of credit unions, dwindling number of potential members. Sure. It even affects dues because I remember I was speaking down at the Texas Credit Union League meeting one year and Dick Ensweiler was telling me they were having a merger of two of their large credit unions and kind of lamenting the fact that unfortunately it doesn't mean they can't, they can double the dues because they've got a ceiling, a cap, and you're losing on money. So associate management is an interesting thing. I mean, it's again, you're trying to give the members what they want, what they desire. And frankly, there's a lot of sources out there to get it. So you kind of have to figure out interesting ways to do it. Yeah, sure. Well, and even I talk a lot about NCUA supervisory priority letters, which just came out. I've got a podcast coming out on that. Last year in that letter, they talked about overdraft fees and they talked about 
the fact that they weren't going to examine for it, but they were going to look at it. And when they looked at it, they were going to look at your policies. They were going to look at what you told your members. And oh, by the way, they were going to look at what your internal auditors may have audited relative to it. And so just a subtle little sentence like that dropped in guidance. That's not regulation, but hey, this is where we might be looking is just an example of where I see the internal audit piece of credit unions going. And there's another piece of it. I think NCUA is going to have some guidance coming out on. So fascinating. Yeah, it's a growth association. Well, anything relative to the other two associations you'd like to chat about, the one, the National Council of Postal and the metro area that you'd like to speak to? Yeah, I mean, uh, McCuma, McCuma is, I think it's the longest running association, one of the longest running associations in credit unions. And what we work to do with McCuma is trying to provide some training, some educating, but the biggest thing about them is networking. That is mainly a lot in this DMV area. And it's coincidental, we have an event tomorrow. We are having what we're calling Burgers with Burger. And the CEO and president of NAFQ has been kind enough to come over. We're going to hold it over at Apple Federal Credit Union. Dan's coming over to give us a kind of an update on Congress and issues for credit unions for 2023. And one of our board members said, hey, let's serve burgers. So we're serving burgers. We're also serving other things in case anybody else wanted it. But that's the type of thing we try to do. We do educational stuff. We're having a fraud conference coming up in March. We do two golf outings, which obviously it's funny. We try to do the first and the last. We do one in April and we do one in November. And so we try to sandwich the golf outings I know people like, but we really try to do events that get the people together. We've got a new idea for this year. We're calling it Roundtable Palooza. And we're basically going to try and put together roundtables of varying disciplines kind of all in one place. I know a lot of times large CEOs will get together and that, but we're going to try and do kind of one with marketing, one with operations, one with CFOs, one with CEOs. And that way you've got a chance to kind of pick and choose what you want to see and what you want to talk about. Council of Postal Credit Unions, I said we've only had them for about a year, but we still managed to do two national conferences for them. Both of them were in DC to try to kind of build up their attendance and their books. We're going to be in Charleston, South Carolina in September. That's another interesting because it's kind of a niche association with things that are kind of individual to them. And if you're an old timer like I am, you remember we used to have a lot more of these. Sure. We used to have a, a league of IBM credit unions. We used to be called kind of telephone credit right. unions that became technology credit unions. And we still have the National Council of Firefighters. We've still got Chairman's Association. So there's a lot of them out there. And again, I think there's plenty of room for them to be out there. I think the key is you have to look at your membership and figure out what your membership wants and then try to provide that for them in the best possible way. Not everybody's going to be CUNA and NAFQ or Q's or NASCAS. I mean, we're just not. But I think each of these associations does a really good job of focusing on what their members need. Oh, that's great. And when you do, I'm hoping when you did that advertising, you got the burger with the UR and the burger with the ER, right? On yes, we did, right? we did get it right. I always got to check that. But, Double uh, check that a couple of times. Yes. Interestingly, so we're recording this on January 23rd. My podcasts go live on Tuesday. Tomorrow's podcast is an interview with Dan Berger on the priorities of NAFQ. <laughs> so it was a nice segue. My podcasts usually run a, a couple of weeks. I usually I have a couple in the can, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, so NASCIS, did I hear you right? I don't know. The story behind that, NASCIS has been around a while. And I'd say probably 30, 35 years ago, it was about 30 years ago, a large group of state chartered credit unions got together. I'll never forget. It was over in Arlington. It was by the, it was right there by National Airport. They met at a hotel. And basically their complaint was that NAFQ, obviously at that time, because of the way they were structured, didn't speak for state chartered credit unions. And CUNA, they fell through the league structure, didn't really address them directly. And NASCIS at the time was really a state supervisor association. Right. They, they allowed state charter credit unions in, but they were called, I think, affiliate members. 
And so this group was in an uproar that there was nobody to speak for them. Well, Sam Rizzo, who at that time was the former head of what's now ASI, but was then NDGC, had just retired. And Sam called me and he said, we should have an association just for state chartered premiums. And so we started it. Trust me, it's not an easy process. You, you get a lot of slings and arrows. As a matter of fact, I remember Jim Blaine, the former CEO of State Employees Credit Union, who's one of the biggest supporters of NASCAS, sent me a letter. And I'm sure if I digged in my file, I could find it. That letter's not on the wall there, but those are the presidential proclamations that kind of add some credence to me being somewhat worthwhile. But Blaine's letter basically said, sometimes less is more. This is one of those cases. And that was it. But what we did was we basically tried to focus on state chartered issues and we built it up to about 150 credit unions, but we were never really able to get up above that. And so about four years after that, Doug Dewar, who was at the time, right. head of Aspis, Doug, who was a good friend of mine, called me and he said, hey, let's get together and see if we can put these two together. And we did. To the credit, frankly, of both boards who kind of were willing to work and allow. I mean, the NASCIS allowed some of the NASCIS board members to be on and, and kind of, in one case, truncated terms and then had to run again. But it worked out really well. And so, no, I did not form NASCIS. I formed NASCU. It was similar. But again, I thought it did its job. And then the other thing that Doug and the NASCIS board at the time did that I thought was very good and very helpful was they gave the the state charter credits more of a say. They created kind of, they called it a tripod where they had the council members, they had the regulators, and then they had the foundation. And so they, and I guess in hindsight, they responded to what the marketplace was asking for. Sure. Marketplace went there. So that essentially changed the structure of NASCIS and gave the actual credit unions a bigger voice than they had prior. So yeah, which unfortunately kind of reduced the need for NASCIS, which is why they were Sure, today. sure. Very good. Well, anything else in there in the economy right now? It's interesting times. I'm seeing a lot of my clients having and just conversations with credit unions tied to liquidity challenge challenges, a net economic value challenges, exams that are a little bit more challenging than they may have had over the last 10, 15 year run of really good economics. Any thoughts relative to the economy? Any thoughts relative to what's going on in that arena? Well, look, obviously, when the economy tightens up, everything tends to tighten up. And I actually have always said, I think we as regulators would sometimes get it backwards. And when things were going well and everything was working, was with time when I thought we might want to say, look, let's save a little for a rainy day. I mean, I know it's not always a popular thing, but what I think happens is when times get tough, regulators tend to squeeze and you basically, you're actually penalizing someone who's already down. I mean, you're kicking someone who's down. And so Again, as I hope, and you and I deal with examiners, you do it a lot more than I do, more about this than I do, but you see exam teams coming in and asking for things and demanding things that they didn't ask for in the past. And I think that's the danger. And I often talk about the disconnect between board members and staff. And it's not just at NCUA. I think it's everywhere because I saw it at the finance board as well. And I described it this way. I mean, board members get there based mainly on politics. Okay. As I mentioned, I mean, you get there because someone who knows the president or the president. For the staff, it's much more personal. And if you think about it, and I just came to this conclusion the other day when I was going through the math in my head, for the most part, I'd like someone else to name me a credit union or a company where one third of the board that kind of supervises them leaves every two years. Now, if it's done the way it's usually done, that's the way it is at NCUA. If you think about it, one board member rolls off every other year. Right. Okay. 
And that's a third of the top of the agency, as we like to say. Do you think of that? And again, you've been there and you don't have to spill the tea, but I'm going to tell you, I know that, look, staff looks at board members sometimes and says, okay, I got you six years and I'm getting somebody else. So love them or hate them. They know they're probably not going to be there longer than six years. And so it creates this disconnect in terms sometimes of what a board member wants and what the staff is willing to do. I'll give you an example. I give speeches about how we wanted credit unions and mortgages. We want you making mortgages. You can sell them on the secondary part and we want you making mortgages. And after I get done speaking, there would be a line of about 15 or 20 CEOs waiting to talk to me. And you'd look down the line and it looked like they all had their business card in their hand. They would say, this is me. On the flip side is my examiner. Please don't tell him or I'm telling you this, but they tell me you don't want me in mortgages. Right. I'd come back to the office, I'd call the staff in and I'd say, wait a minute, I'm saying this and this is what I'm hearing. And they'd say, well, yeah, because A, B, C, D. I mean, again, it some of the stuff that is out there, and again, you and I see it, where exams are getting tighter. And again, a lot of that is due to the economy. And what worries me is with the split we have now in Congress with a Republican House, and obviously everybody knows it took 14 votes or 15 votes for Kevin McCarthy to get to be Speaker, which is something he wanted for a long time. And unfortunately, I think he gave away the store. And for the last handful of years, members of Congress have started to use things like the debt ceiling and the deficit as kind of hostage-taking situations where we used to do debt ceiling in like a 15-minute vote. But you contrast that with, we also used to pick the Speaker of the House in usually a 15 to 30-minute vote. Sure. Not five days of back and forth of drama and head counting. And so it worries me that things could trigger other events that are also going to have an impact on credit unions. And again, we get caught up kind of in the wash. You said a lot there. One thought of examiners getting harder at the wrong time. It's easier to get tough when times are good and it's harder when times are bad. Yeah, I think you're spot on there in some of the challenges that some credit unions are having on your comment relative to the boards only there for a six-year period. The comment I'll make relative to that would be there are some NCUA staff coined the phrase, you need to worry about the first year and the last year. Because the first year the board member comes in, they got all this energy, they want to make changes, they're kind constantly having lobbyists and people interested. They're seeking the wisdom of crowds that I referred to, right? And they're getting all these ideas. And then as a staff member, you have to walk through, okay, this that's the 47th time we've been asked that one question and the Federal Credit Union Act doesn't allow it, right? And you separate the wheat from the chaff, but it does lead to good ideas. And that turnover does lead to new ideas where people look at things a little bit different. So in the end, all in all, it's a good thing. And then the last year is they've been there the four or five and six years, and they know that you're all, that staff at that juncture may have been saying there's only six years. It's like, all right, well, I'm only here for another year. I want this on the board agenda next month, right? So yep. a real deadline where things start to get done. So that first and last year have a little bit different tenor to it. You brought up something interesting there, and that is, and what I hope that the White House will do with whomever they choose to take Rodney Hood's spot, and that is with credit union experience. Obviously, one of the pitfalls of 1151 when it was passed was that the bankers got in there, this only one tested credit union person. Now, I will tell you that I think legal interpretations have shadowed that as well. And I think we've had times where there were two that I could make a case were pretty well credit union tested, which again, I find is fine. I mean, again, I think that this banker's amendment that they managed to jam through it is misguided, but I'm hoping that the next person has credit experience. And I'll tell you why I was a credit union. Now the term I think is Nepo baby when you're talking about actors and things like that. My father worked at the agency, right. Callahan. So 
I guess you could say I was a Nepo baby. But when I went there, I knew credit unions. I mean, as a matter of fact, I mean, I had known Bob Fenner and Bob Loftus and a handful of people over there who had been there when my dad was there. So, I mean, it, it was comfortable for me. I knew credit unions, but obviously I didn't know how to regulate. I contrast that with the finance board when I went there where I felt I knew how to regulate, but I really didn't know that much about the federal home loan bank system. So the ideal thing is if you can get someone who does both, the chances of that are relatively slim. But if you can't get that, then I would really hope that they err towards someone who knows credit unions, because I think that helps. And again, you were there a long time. You mentioned how the first year and the last year, I think that first year, if they know what the issues are, the players are, it makes it a lot easier because then you're not having to say, yeah, we've heard about this before. Sure. And it's even like Rodney Hood's first year of his second term was different than the first year of his first term. Same with Debbie Matz. Yep. So you dated yourself by the Bob Loftus reference, and I'm going to tell you why. So Bob Loftus was the former PACA director, and he was there for quite some time. And he had this really cool newspaper on his wall, and it was of the day that the Brooklyn Dodgers were leaving Brooklyn. And he pointed to this little kid standing there crying, and it was Bob Loftus himself. (laughs) So... Well, and I'll tell you, I mean, look, I turned 60 last year, so I'm no longer the pup. When I joined the credit union movement, I was 25 years old. I always like to tell people that still work that I was the first full-time hire at Callahan Associates. Oh, wow. Carl Hoyle's wife, Kathy Hoyle, and then Pat Holland were kind of the office manager and the head receptionist, but they were really only part-time. And so after they formed Callahan Associates, I was the first full-time hire there. And I was 25 years old. And they used to call me the KID, the kid. They would usually swear in front of me. And then by saying, don't swear in front of the blank and FKID. But now I'm 35 years later. And you mentioned names like Bob Fenner, Bob Loft. To some people that maybe listen to this, they're going to be like, who the heck is that? Who is that? Yeah. But I will tell you that those are important people in the movement because they carry the institutional memory that people before us, before me carried. I mean, Carol Beach and folks like that, Dave Chatfield, people like that, that, that were around before me. Dan Egan, Dan Plowda, they carry it. And now, frankly, we carry it, just carry it for the next generation. Because when I was at CUNA, one of the most important people I felt there was Kathy Thompson, who was there, head of regulatory affairs, because Kathy knew why, when you'd say to her, why didn't we get this bill passed in 81? Oh, that's because this and this and then this happened. I mean, that stuff is important. And I'm always kind of reminded of the story that about the basketball all-star game when Shaquille O'Neal was like in his second year. I forgot who was that passed his bench. And somebody said, oh, he's a legend in the game. And he's like, who the heck's that? And the problem is, if you don't know kind of the legends in the game, if you don't know the people that came before who kind of set the table, I think that's dangerous because I think then two things happen. One, you tend to reinvent the wheel. You try to. And two, if you don't know why things didn't work before, you wind up making your job harder. Right. Well, and you mentioned Kathy and this rule was put in place and we got this legislation passed in 19 whatever. Reminds me of a quote, which is you need to understand why a fence was put up before you take it down. And that legacy knowledge, the corporate knowledge of all those folks is the foundation. And it's a foundation of a great industry. We've been blessed to be part of it. Hey, Jeff, is there any questions I should have asked today that I haven't yet that you'd like to touch on? No, I mean, the only other thing, obviously, I mentioned or you mentioned, both of us mentioned, I used to be on the board of the Federal Housing Finance Board, and that was the agency that regulated the federal home loan bank system. And it's funny because when I went over there, as I said, I wasn't really familiar with the federal home loan bank system. But having spent time there as their regulator, I was really impressed with the way that they were cooperatives in some sense, almost more than credit unions, 
basically because they had a joint several liability with each other. If one had trouble, the others are going to pay. Now, obviously, you can't do that with credit unions. It's too much of a risky business that way, but continually pushed for for credit unions to use the home loan bank system. Now, you and I have had this discussion before, and I've had it with other folks. And I know that staff over there isn't always nuts about the super lean and some of the other things in the system. But I'll tell you what, I'm a big supporter of looking into the federal home loan bank system. And I know that, for example, Chip Lusk, DB Federal Credit Union, is on the board of the Atlanta Federal Home Loan Bank when there are people getting more and more involved. But again, this to me shows why broad pattern of thought helps. And again, having an idea of what you want to do, but then an idea of what came before you is important. Very good, Jeff. Very good. And so I've had several clients that are big players in the federal home loan bank. It's in this times right now where liquidity is an issue. It's a great resource for credit unions. I'm glad you brought that up. So if a credit union wanted to get in touch with you, or if there's an association that's looking for someone who might be able to help them out, what would be the best way for them to reach you? Easiest way is by email. And again, since I spell my name different, I will spell it out. It's G-E-O-F-F at Bacino, B-A-C-I-N-O, associates.com. I'm old school, so I still use the phone. Phone number is 202-549-0253. Either of those are ways you can find out. So as I joked with Jim Nussel and Dan Berger, I got three of them. You guys are next. So, But if anybody wants to do it, and again, I appreciate the time. And you and I have worked on some projects together. And so we have. Yeah, really that's like been fun. That. That's been fun too. There'll be more, I'm sure. And Jeff, I want to thank you so much for your time here today. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. You got it. And listeners, I want to thank you for listening. Hopefully you'll listen again soon. This is Mark Treichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 